Uh, at the beginning of uh, her uh, message last week, Jackie shared a, a photo of her just as she arrived at Gold Hill, um, or just, just before she arrived at Gold Hill. I've had a little look for one, and uh, by God's grace, I can't find one. Um, <laughs> Uh, of, of me 10 years ago, uh, starting here. If anyone has one, feel free to um, keep it to yourself. Uh, now, as Stephen says, um, I'm honoured to be, to, be, to be able to share today about, about this idea, a principle of, of confidence. And actually, um, I, there's a few reasons that, that, I, that I'm speaking on this, this topic today. Uh, the first is that actually the passage we're going to be looking at is the same as the passage that I preached on the very first sermon I gave at Gold Hill. So it kind of feels, feels cool, which I'm sure you'll remember. Um, <laughs> no, so, but the, 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 the bigger reason, the more important reason, is that I believe there's some stuff as I've prayed um, for us as a church family. Um, there are some things that I think God wants to speak specifically around this. Um, that are going to be really important as we, as we continue on and as we go forward. Um, these are all, I also want to say, what I'm sharing today are things that I feel as though I have learnt from you as a church family um, far more than I'm going to be able to share back with you today. Um, I am a more confident, in the right meaning of the word, I think, person than when I came to this church. And I give thanks to God and I give thanks to you for that. But I believe that there is more. I believe that there is a greater level of confidence that God wants us to have. Confidence is not the same as arrogance. It is not the same as pride. It is not the same as having all the answers. But confidence is also not about being timid and retiring and shy. There's something powerful when we have a confidence rooted in the right thing that can happen. And so we are going to explore a passage from the book of Acts we're going to explore a, a passage from Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. And just to put a little bit of context in place for you before I read that passage in full. This is uh, the earliest sort of Christian community, just after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon, uh, upon the church and the church of Christ was born. Just after that moment... Um, Amazing things were happening, and there was, a, there was a healing that happens, and then people were flocking to understand what's the power behind this healing, and the gospel is preached, and people come to respond, and they turn to this Jesus, and they say, well, if this man can be healed in Jesus' name, then I want to be set free in Jesus' name as well, and then the authorities hear about it, and they are not happy. And they, they haul Peter and John, two of the early church leaders, um, up before them and they grill them and they give questioning and they, 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 they lock them away for a little bit. And then they release them, making it very clear that they are under no circumstances to tell anyone about Jesus and that there will be consequences if they do. So this is a church. This story is what happens when the church then comes back together to talk about this. And we see what their first response is to this as a community. So this is a church who are in trouble. That's what it looks like. It's a church who are under attack, who are under threat, where there's uncertainty, where there's difficulty, where there's opposition. We face different kinds of challenges today, but I think we'd all agree that we face them. There are challenges in our world. There are things that are difficult. There are things that are difficult in our nation to do with leadership and to do with policy. There's things that are difficult financially and cost of living. There's things that are difficult in terms of war and in terms of conflict. There's things that are difficult for us in our own lives, the situations that we all face. 
There's things that are difficult for our own church. We're going through a lot of change. There's lots of things that we could look at and say, that's going to derail us. But as we look at this example of these early Christian community, I think we can see a different response, and it's one marked by confidence, and it's one that God honors with an even greater level of confidence. Let me read, and as I do, I want you to look out for evidence of the confidence of these early Christians. I want you to look out for what it is that they actually ask God for, and I want you to look out for what God does in response, because we're going to explore a little bit about what God's bit is in this, and we're going to explore a a little bit about what our bit or their bit is in this. So let's read together from verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the story of a confident community under threat seeking God and being granted an even greater confidence and boldness. I said we were going to look at God's bit and our bit. I actually want to start with God's bit, which comes at the end. What is it that God does? Well, what we see at the end of this is that God shakes the room. God shakes the room and he fills the people there with the Holy Spirit and they go out. God honors this prayer that they've offered to him with an almighty shaking of the room. And it does something. It's powerful. And I want to spend a moment or two thinking about shaking and thinking about earthquakes in the Bible. We understand, uh, Stephen's already talked about about scientific understanding of things uh, today. And we understand that earthquakes and the ground shaking comes from the movement of tectonic plates underneath the ground. We know that earthquakes come from below. The people living at this time and all throughout the Bible story didn't know that. They hadn't done that. those studies yet. They hadn't understood that earthquakes came from below. So their assumption was that they must come from above. Because what happens, so this this is a big ball of air. It's very, very light. And if I drop it on the floor, nothing happens to the floor because it's light and the floor is heavier. If I were somehow to rip up this stage and drop it on top of the ball, the ball would definitely shake. In fact, it would do more than shake. It would pop and it would explode. Because this ball is less weighty than the ground. Are we following here? Good, it's not complicated, I promise. So what happens when something heavy lands on something that may be solid, but it's not as solid as what descends upon it? Well, what happens is the thing at the bottom shakes. And so in the, in the Bible, there's a, there's, a, there's a story of when the Ten Commandments are given and the people are at this mountain, they're at Mount Sinai. 
And we hear that as the glory of God descends upon that place, the mountain begins to shake. Mountains are solid. Mountains are firm. The glory of God, the the Hebrew word glory actually means the weight, the weightiness, the heaviness of God is bigger and stronger and more solid than the mountain on which they're standing. And so the ground has to shake. The earth quakes because something more solid has descended upon it. That was their understanding, and and, and and it shapes the way that they think about these things. And so then we think about other times in the Bible when the earth shakes. Because what we need to do when we see those things is think, okay, so, so what is it that is being driven out? What is it that, that seemed like a solid mountain, but actually when it's met with the presence of God, starts to crumble and shake and fade away? And I'm drawn immediately to the cross. We're told that when Jesus died upon the cross, the ground shook there was this little mini localized earthquake. The ground shook. And I want to suggest that wasn't just an earthquake. It was a sin quake. For me, in my life, sometimes my sin, my wrong, my failures, my mess-ups, my rebellion and selfishness, those things that I do because I want to, regardless of what God thinks about it, they can seem pretty immovable. They can feel like a mountain that I can never budge, that I can never get off. When God's forgiveness and love, and mercy, and grace descend upon my failure, it's my sin that has to quake, not God. And so the ground shakes. And then three days later, when Jesus rose again, we hear again that the earth shook. And it's a death quake, because death feels inescapable. Death feels solid. Death feels like a mountain that I can't get off. But when the life and the resurrection power of God descends upon my mortality, it's my mortality that has to tremble. It's my death that has to quake, and I can be given life in its place. When God descends upon any situation in your life, it's not him that trembles. It's that thing. Whether that be your failure, whether that be your sin, whether that be your your own understanding of your mortality, whether that be sickness, whatever it be in your life, God is bigger. He is not the ball of hot air that just flops around and does nothing. He is the weighty thing that can descend upon any situation and see breakthrough. He is solid and that is why we can have confidence in him. And that's why when these people in this, in this room come together and pray and God shakes the room, what is it that's quaking? It's their fear. Their own fear of the people outside, the people who are attacking them, who are against them, the people who they could be afraid of, that their fear is what has to quake in the presence of God. So what we see is that is that when they pray, when they do their bit, when they seek God with a a small amount of confidence, God meets them and he lands upon them and all fear has to go. I believe that can be our story as well. That as we seek God, as we meet with God, as we invite him to come and fill us, fear can go. That whatever it is that we're looking at in the eye and going, that's too big for me, it can go. Because that thing has to tremble in the face of God. That's God's bit. And I want you to hear that for your own life. And I want us to hear that for our own church family. But this wasn't a, 
an unconfident group of people approaching God and then him giving them confidence. No, this is a group of people who have confidence in him and they seek him and he gives them even more. The ground shakes, they're filled with boldness. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they go out with an even greater boldness. And I want to briefly look at four ways in which they express their confidence to God and ask us as a church family to commit to these as, as principles, to pre-decide that this will be our story as well. I want to say all of these things are things that I have witnessed plenty of times during my time at Gold Hill. This isn't a sermon about things we're not doing. These are things, this is a message about things that I believe God wants us to grow in and increase in. And I also want to thank you as a church family because these are things that I can honestly say are deeper and stronger in my life because of being part of this family. So that's the position I come to it from. And those four things are prayer as our first response, letting the Bible interpret the times around us instead of the other way around, being on the front foot in our faith instead of the back foot, and seeking God for miraculous signs and wonderful things. So I want to briefly look at each of those things with these guys as an example, with these believers as an example. Prayer was their first response. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They gave a prayer update. They gave a prayer request. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. This is the situation. This is what's going on. Let's pray about it. This is the challenge. This is the threat. Let's pray. Now, very often, between this is the situation that needs something to happen in and let's pray, I love a strategy meeting. I love to lay out a list of potential options that we could go with. Some ideas. Let's brainstorm some stuff. Let's do it. Let's come up with the very best we can, we can do. And then let's present those to God and say, would you bless those, please? That's not confidence in God. That's confidence that God might be able to work with my ideas. Confidence in God looks like this. This is the problem. Let's pray. It's a first response. It's a reflex. It's a knee-jerk. And it's based in who God is. How does their prayer start? Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's because of who God is that they can turn to him so quickly in prayer and trust him and place their confidence in him. That's the basis of it. And if our God is for us, then who can stand against us? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. That's what they're praying. It's what we've been singing. If that's what is true, then our first response, instead of looking inwards to our own intellect, ideas, wisdom, strength, whatever it is, we look immediately to him. This is the problem. Let's pray. And it requires a trust and a confidence in him, a choice to step towards God instead of stepping away from God. This week, we've been having some work done in our bathroom at home, and we've got two pretty shy and scared cats uh, that have been, that have been you know, running, trying to get as far away from, as possible from, from all of the work that's been going on, and it's been noisy, and it's been loud, and they've been, they've been terrified. And whenever the, 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 the work people come to, to, to do some stuff and they start making noise, the cats try and run to whatever is closest that they can get behind. 
but it's not actually the place where they're going to feel safest. We know the place they're going to feel safest. The place they're going to feel safest is a little cubby hole in the top of my office with some old duvets up there that don't get used. And when they get up there, they can be up there for five, six, seven hours and feel completely safe. But to get there, they've got to go past the bathroom. And so instead, they run behind the curtain. Because the curtain is the very best safety they can muster for themselves. And when Natalie and I go and try and pick them up from behind the curtain, knowing what's best for them, knowing where we need to take them, what do they do? They run away from us. Because we're the ones who are going to put them in the bathroom. Of course we're not. Of course we're not. We're going to pick them up and we're going to take them to the place where we know they will be the absolute safest. But they run away from us. Because they're scared that we might be part of the problem, not part of the solution. This is the problem. Let's pray. It requires trusting God, confidence in him, and saying, I'm going to run to you, not away from you. Because the place that you can take me is safer than the curtain I can find for myself. So let's pray as a church. Let's be that church. Let's be that church. This is the thing. Let's pray. Let's commit to our days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every month. Let's pray for one another as soon as we hear about a need. Let's, let's continue to call days of prayer when there's a particular need. Let's stand with our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer because of their faith. Let's let prayer be our first response. Let that be pre-decision number one. Second, they let the Bible interpret what's going on around them. They let the Bible interpret the times because as soon as they've prayed to this sovereign Lord who made everything, they then say to him, you spoke through David, our father, your servant, and they quote from Psalm 2. And they quote, uh, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm. It would be used um, around the time when a new king was crowned. One king had died, and another king was coming. But that in-between time, that's a dangerous time for a nation. When do you want to attack a nation when they're weak? When their leaders are weak, when they have no leader, when the king has died and they haven't got a new one yet. I mean, we've seen, haven't we, how dangerous and difficult it can be for people in times of leadership transition in the last few months. We've seen that in our nation. And so the enemies of the people of Israel between one king and another would come and they might plot and they might say, okay, well, together, this might be the time that we can pounce and we can overthrow and we can extend our own kingdoms. And Psalm 2 talks about that being in vain, that being pointless. Why do they rise up against the Lord and against his anointed one? Because the psalmist, David, knows that it's pointless. Because if God has anointed someone to be king, they will be king no matter what some other nation or foreign ruler does. And they look at this psalm, these believers, and they say, well, that's what's going on here, isn't it? Because we know that God has anointed Jesus as his son, He's anointed Jesus to be king. He's anointed Jesus as as my Lord. And so it doesn't matter what Pilate or what Herod or what the Jewish authorities or what the Gentiles in Jerusalem are doing. It doesn't matter. Jesus has been anointed and he's not going anywhere. It's solid. And that gives them confidence to then pray. They don't need to pray that Jesus wouldn't be taken off the throne because they already know it's not going to happen. It gives them confidence to pray. But instead of looking at their own situation and saying, oh, this is going on. That seems very real. That seems very true. How now do we understand the Bible? They do it the other way around. They decide to let what the Bible says 
be more true than what it is that they can see with their own eyes. And it changes everything for the way that they pray and it changes everything for the way that they behave. So what things are there in the Bible that might help us to understand our day and our time in a world that's constantly talking about money and budgets and costs of living and bills and all those things which are important? Maybe the Bible might have some things to say about the love of money or about where we place our treasure. Sounds familiar to me. In a world that is asking all kinds of good and important questions about race and about gender and about money and about power and about class and about the environment, all of these big questions that are important to think about, important to ask, they're not bad questions, but where do we go for our answers? Well, the internet means that we can pretty much go wherever we want because we can find someone who will say what we want to hear. It's pretty easy. We can even probably find Christians saying what we want to hear. And we can probably also find Christians quoting from the Bible and saying what we want to hear. Paul, writing to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Listen to this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead, to suit their own desires. They'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to the myths. He's saying that there will be people who let their own ideas or what's going on in the world be more important to them, more true than what we find in Scripture. As a church, I don't believe that's us. Let's not let it ever become us. Let's decide when there seems to be a difference between what God is saying through his word and what the world is saying. Let's go with God, because he knows. Third thing that I see as a, as a way that these, these, these people show confidence in God is that they are on the front foot of faith instead of the back foot. They had every reason and excuse to shrink back and say, oof, we've had quite a few conversions recently. Maybe it's time just to take stock for a while. Let's do some, let's do some discipleship for a while. Let's, let's retreat. Let's focus on ourselves for a little bit. Let's make sure that we're growing strong because it's pretty hard right now. Maybe in a week, a month, a year, then we can step back out again. That's not what they do, though. What is it that they actually pray? It's quite a long way into their prayer before they ask for anything. Maybe there's a lesson for us there as well. But in verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. The only thing that they ask God to do with the threats that they're facing is consider them. Not get rid of them. Not challenge them, not give them really good answers in response to them. Just consider them, Lord. That's our context. It's hard. So please give us greater boldness because we know we need it. They're on the front foot, not the back foot. Because they know that in some ways it doesn't matter what happens to them. What matters is that the church is moving forward. The church with a great big capital C, that the kingdom of God is growing. That matters more than their own lives, than their own situations, than their own comfort. The human body is a pretty incredible and powerful thing. The reason I've chosen a picture of someone who's out in the cold is that there's something that happens when, when, when the human body finds itself in a position of extreme cold to the point where it's going to stop working, to the point where it, it, it needs to start conserving energy in order to stay alive. Gradually, bit by bit, 
the body will just shut, shut down certain systems. So fingers and toes will just be allowed to get frostbite and die off. Because in the grand scheme of things, you don't need your toes, you don't need your fingers. What you do need is you need your heart, you need your lungs, you need your circulatory system to keep everything going. And so the body pumps energy into those things and lets other things go. You know, the two systems that the body saves till last are these. It's the, it's the circulatory respiratory system, because we need that, and the reproductive system. Why on earth? If I'm in the middle of the tundra, if I'm in the middle of the Arctic, I've got other things on my mind. <laughs> I really do. I don't need that. Can, 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 can I have a few other? I'd, I'd prefer some fingers, actually. They might help a bit more. But from a species point of view, so if maybe from a sort of evolutionary point of view, from a species point of view, it doesn't matter whether I as an individual get out of that. What matters is whether I can continue the human race. The human body is hardwired to preserve the species, not, its, not, its, not the individual. We are the body of Christ. I believe there's something similar that God wants for us. It is never time to shrink back from stepping forward in faith. It's never time to say, this is a time just for us to focus on ourselves. The world can wait a year. In a church, we're going through quite a lot of change, staff changes. We're in this wonderful building. There's lots of things that are going on. But it is never a season to say, Let's just focus on ourselves for a little bit before we step forward. Let's not wait until this building is full four times on a Sunday before we plant something elsewhere. Let's not wait until we've got, we're back up to four full-time pastors before we, before we think about going and doing something else. It's always, next time Stephen announces there's opportunities to go door to door, instead of saying, oh, it doesn't really feel like we're in the right season for that, it's always the right season for mission. They're on the front foot of faith and so can we be. And finally, the last thing that they, that, that, they, that they show me is that they seek God for signs and wonders. They ask God to help them speak boldly. They value the words that they are going to say. It is important that we are sharing our faith, sharing Jesus with people using our words. It's important, as we see throughout the book of Acts, that we're doing good things, that we're, that we're showing and demonstrating the love of God, not just talking about it but it has to be backed up by the power and the miracles and the wonders of Jesus. He is able. He can shake the room then. He can shake the room now. He healed then. He can heal now. Not just in church meetings, not just those who are already followers of him, but as the praying on the streets team go out, as we are with neighbors and colleagues, and friends. Let's seek God for those things. If we just seek God to make us bold, we're maybe placing a lot of confidence in ourselves. I can do it as long as God helps me. No, let's let God do some of it. Let's let him initiate by his Holy Spirit. He filled them with their Holy Spirit. They spoke boldly, but the miracles didn't stop. As we continue through the book of Acts, they go on and on and on. And there's a there's a pattern that happens in the book of Acts where something miraculous will happen in Jesus' name. People will flock to hear about it. Those people who hear about it go, well, I want some of that for me. They turn and they believe in Jesus Christ. There's fruit. The authorities hear about it. There's backlash. And then they go again. 
That's part of the rhythm of church and the miraculous, the signs and wonders, seeking God for all of those things is part of our call in him and with him. True confidence in God asks him to move, not just asking him to help us move. It's got to be both. And so we finish where we started. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. Not just Peter and John, who'd been hauled up in front of the authorities. All. All of them were shaken. All of them were filled. All spoke the word of God boldly. There were people that Peter and John would never meet. There were places that Peter and John would never go. Thank God it didn't rest on them. It was a team thing. Everyone was involved. Everyone played their part. These people show that confidence in God. And you might be here feeling as though you have a lot of confidence in God. You might be feeling you've just got that little mustard seed. Jesus says that's okay, doesn't he? These people finish this story with more confidence than they started. That can be our story too. We come to God with what we've got. We offer it to him. We let him multiply it. We let him shake the room, fill us up, and send us out. Can I invite you to stand with me? I'm going to pray, and I'll invite the band to come back up. In a moment, we're going to sing again. But I would like to pray into this and lead us as a church family into response of confidence before God. It might be that you want to open up your hands or raise an arm just as a, as a, as a sort of symbolic thing of saying, we want to receive something from you today, Lord. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the sea and everything in them. You've spoken by your Holy Spirit, the, the wealths and the riches of Scripture that we might feed on, that we might draw comfort from, that we might draw confidence from. And this world is a messed up place. And there are challenges and there are threats and there are difficulties. And we have an enemy. Lord, would you consider all of that and make us bold? Would you consider those things in our own hearts that make us want to shrink back? And would you enable us to place our weight on the front foot again and to step forward with you? Would you consider the situations that we find ourselves in and give strength for that instinct, knee-jerk reaction to pray? Would you consider the hardship that is so real in our lives and would you cause it to tremble and to quake in the face of your miraculous, holy, almighty power? Thank you that my sin was not so great. Thank you that my death will not be so great that you cannot make them shake and tremble. Thank you that in you we have something that is more solid than the ground we stand on, more solid than the situations we face. And would you inspire us and give us confidence 
Holy Lord God, in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you shake this church? Enable us to be bold and go ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.